was a child an open letter to be read aloud to the throne caught in a spell of stormy weather mnemonic lines to the front whatever it is that's kept us together I look to the sky and it's gone save one for me and I'll never forget you Still with 
Welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today it's Friday, July 16th, 2021. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco, and we are on Ramaytush Ohlone land. And for more information, please go to ramaytush.org, and that is R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H.org. And there's some information there, as well as you can sign a petition to remove statues of colonizers of the native peoples of California. So it's pretty simple. Just go to the website and click on there. We also have a lot of different links on our website at weeklyrev.org. And if you click on the Land Acknowledgement tab, we've got links to native news outlets, maps, and other places that folks can donate. So please do check that out. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Going to be taking a few weeks off, so glad to be here today in the meantime. Uh, ooh, what a rough week. I say that every week. Uh, it just keeps on getting rougher, and we'll do what we can, I guess, to... Uh, sitting down here uh, make things feel a little bit better and I think just also more informed because there's so much propaganda out there and it's hard to know what's going on and uh, I'm reading a book right now that I'm quite enjoying called We Fight Fascists it's about group 43 which was a group of Jewish ex-servicemen in 
London uh, after the Second World War, and there was, of course, a I shouldn't say of course, but there was a rise of fascism, and there were a lot of folks who were being like, eh, let's just uh, not do anything about it. And some of these folks were like, um, no, we're going to have to do stuff. So, so far they've been like disrupting meetings, heckling folks, beating, beating up fascists. It's a really good read, and I'm enjoying it quite a lot. And I believe it was in the introduction they were talking about, um, I think it was there that I saw it. Perhaps it was another article I was reading about how Facebook was allowing uh, Holocaust denials to be on their platform. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I'm not on Facebook much. I'm, I'm still I'm on there just to be able to contact folks, but I don't post anymore. And I often feel like, oh, maybe this show would have more traction. Um, and, you know, encountering, of course, those arguments and sharing information. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to feed into this monster. Uh, so, whew, yeah, I recommend the book called We Fight Fascists. Um, and the author's name, I believe, is Daniel Sonnabend. Let me just look that up right now before I forget. And let's see here. In the meantime, we can be providing information, some news from independent sources here um, to, again, counteract a lot of the corporate media and mainstream news sources or lack of news. Uh that are out there. So yeah, the book's called We Fight Fascists, The 43 Group, and Their Forgotten Battle uh, for Post-War Britain. And that's by Daniel Sonnabend, and it's an independent publisher. So please do support your local booksellers. Um, Green Arcade, Green Apple, Dog-Eared Books. Those are some uh, Alley Cat. Those are some here in the Bay Area, or San Francisco, I should say. Uh, Pegasus. I'll just name off. I'll just do name books bookstores for two hours. That'll be a fun show. But yeah, don't buy it from Amazon if you can help it. Uh, please do support independent publishers and independent bookstores. Um, I'm gonna start off. I have a few articles set aside. Also, I'll be playing music as we usually do on the show um, because it's uh, so nice. And I was gonna play a, a live Afghan Wigs concert. I think I've played this one before. This is the one I was going to play. It was from New Orleans in 20. 14. I was actually at the show and was really grateful to be. However, I feel like the sound quality is not as great as it could be, so I'm playing another one that you can actually find on YouTube from Rock Palast uh, from 2017, and the, the sound quality is a bit better, so I thought I would play that. Again, you can find it on YouTube, and for all this info, we'll be sharing it on our webpage at weeklyrev.org. And last week's episode uh, had some technical difficulties, but we recorded it and everything, so hopefully it should be up and running uh, soon question mark but it's out there it's out there in the universe and it'll be there at some point so i did want to share there's been a lot of talk about what's happening in cuba and a lot of misinformation and there have been some photos published that are like not from people in cuba which is i i mean i you can't see me roll my eyes but uh, i'm rolling my eyes rolling my eyes very <laughs> very much and i had the privilege of visiting cuba a number of years ago and the i think the biggest issue there is that there's an embargo from the u.s the U.S., which has tried to just fuck with Cuba for such a fucking long time, excuse me for my language, but also it's worth swearing over because the U.S. just can't stop until it just tries to colonize everywhere and destroy the lives of people everywhere. So there's a, I'm going to read an article to help educate myself and also for all you listeners out there for, for more information. I feel like it's really crucial just to have uh, actual information of what's going on instead of propaganda. Yeah? Cool. So this is from Resumen, and I'm not sure when I started following this blog, but I did at some point, so I get their emails, and it's super helpful. 
and it's R-E-S-U-M-E-N. And this is like the English version, so it's resumen-english.org. Cuba, U.S. pushes for intervention. And this was written by Angel Guerra Cabrera on July 15th, 2021. On the day of the protests and acts of vandalism in Cuba, President Miguel Diaz-Canel denounced the desire of the U.S. government to provoke a massive social outburst on the island, to which all that propaganda and all those ideological constructions contribute to summon the so-called humanitarian interventions. And I'm going to interrupt for a second because, like, how how are we going to have fucking humanitarian interventions when here in the United States so many people are without housing and health care and food? And I say the same fucking thing every week, but it's so – it's just – it boggles the mind that the U.S. is like, oh, we're going to go try to fix things over in this place. Meanwhile, we have this country leads number one in the world of people who are incarcerated. Uh, there's like lack of funding for schools and for healthcare, like all this, all these things that make the world a better place. And the U.S. is like, no, we're just going to like buy more jets and shit. Fucking stupid. <sighs> okay, let me finish the sentence. <laughs> all right. You have to laugh about it because it's fucking disgusting and I don't know what else to do about it that uh, I can safely say on the air. Okay. To which all that propaganda and all those ideological constructions contribute to summon the so-called humanitarian interventions, which end up in military interventions that crush the sovereignty of the peoples, Diaz-Canel informed and analyzed before the, before the people his talk with the nonconformist in San Antonio de los Baños. There are not many leaders who assume such a radically democratic behavior. The following day, his Mexican counterpart, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, put his finger on the sore spot when he affirmed, if they want to help Cuba, the first thing they would have to do is put an end to the blockade, as most of the countries of the world are re- requesting. It would be a truly humanitarian gesture. And I've mentioned before, maybe I've also been journaling about it a lot, how there was a vote of hundreds of countries to like end the blockade of you know to, to Cuba, and the only two that were not in favor of ending the blockade were the U.S. and Israel. And uh, from my experience in Cuba, I can say firsthand, uh, the biggest issue you can't use credit cards there, and I know credit cards are like a whole other fucking issue. But the fact is, like, in order to buy goods there, you have to use cash, so you've got to get cash ahead of time, and euros are better. It's a whole thing where it's just, I mean, that, and this is like a very I recognize a very kind of first world touristy issue, but that was like the big thing where it's like it would so help uh, everyone if there wasn't this blockade against goods and all that stuff for Cuba. All right, I'm going to continue reading here. Ah. It is clear that the blockade is the fundamental cause of the severe shortages of food and medicine, the power cuts, and the other daily suffering in Cuba. This, together with the frenetic, subversive activity of the U.S., created the psychological conditions in sectors where the revolutionary message has not been able to reach to trigger the events of July 11th. The Trump administration took advantage of the pandemic and the economic crisis created by it to make almost it almost impossible for foreign cor- currency to enter Cuba at a time when Havana is bleeding financially to cope with the disease. Contrary to his campaign promises, President Biden has maintained the economic asphyxiation as he inherited from his predecessor, in addition to intensifying the subversive policy towards the island under great pressure from the extreme right in Miami. Three weeks before the riots, 184 countries in the world, with only the United States and Israel voting against, requested at the UN the end of the blockade. But Biden now pretends to be crazy and cynically asks the Cuban government to listen to its people and provide for their needs. I fucking hate this dude. That's one thing that's kind of uh, been a similar theme with this this show, which I've been doing now for almost eight years in December, is that the fucking presidents are fucking 
Oh gosh. What's some good words to use uh, besides war criminal and just like backwards and just causing harm everywhere? Those words will do. doesn't matter if you've got a D next to your name or an R next to your name. You're causing a lot of fucking pain. A report by Spanish expert uh, Julian Macias Tovar gave an account of the origin, exponential growth, and technical details of the expansion of the aforementioned tags uh, on the web based on a very costly and sophisticated operation of psychological warfare, which included the opening of thousands of Twitter accounts and the use of thousands of bots that produced five retweets per second, a highly expensive operation. But in the afternoon of the following day, Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez Perea provided new and more extensive and irrefutable data on the deployment of the monumental campaign and the advanced technology applied. Rodriguez Perea uh, recalled the warning that he had made in the speech delivered at the UN on the very day the blockade was voted against. The United States employs considerable resources, social laboratories, and high-tech tools in an unbridled campaign aimed at discrediting Cuba through the use of lies and the manipulation of data. On June 23rd, he continued, We already had information, and it was evident for those who follow digital networks and data that a large-scale communication operation was underway that day. Likewise, the foreign minister recalled the activation of the mercenary fifth column that the U.S. government maintains on the island with hundreds of millions of dollars in allowances and held it responsible for the consequences derived from the, the, these acts, such as the naval flotilla, excuse me, flotilla uh, headed for Cuba, which is being talked about in Florida. In short, there are the yes, there are system systematic actions and substantial U.S. financing of destabilizing plans against Cuba that have made it possible to set up a sophisticated framework of unconventional warfare with an important communicational ingredient in which, in recent times, social networks play a decisive and growing role. It is understood that with advanced artificial intelligence resources and the application of algorithms to install, as we have seen, behaviors favorable to subversive plans in swaths of the population. In the face of the destabilizing escalation, President Diaz-Canel called on the revolutionaries to take to the streets and on Cubans to unify, respect, and love for life. This is nothing more and nothing less than the defense of the homeland and the validity of the socialist constitutional order voted by 86% of the voters a little more than two years ago. So uh, this source is, uh, the source is from La Jornada, and that's uh, L-A, and the next word is J-O-R-N-A-D-A, and there's a link to that uh, translation from Resumen Latinoamericano to English. And I'm going to share that right now on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. I mostly retweet. I'm at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. So while I do that, I'm going to rest my breath a bit, um, pick up the next uh, article to share, and I'll play some more music. And so here's some more Afghan wigs. Again, this is from 2017, and we'll be back uh, in a bit.
Thank you very much. How y'all doing tonight? Beautiful evening. This is my seventh Calder Festival. Yeah, man. This song's about Pleasure Club. Love that you're afraid 
And we got some more news. Thank uh, you so much. The uh, music's a nice break in in between, for sure. So a couple of articles that are connected here, both from Truthout. Uh, it's an op-ed. Uh, Trump supporters' anti-science crusade is threatening us all. Good times. That's why I play some so much uplifting music here. Okay, this is from uh, William Rivers Pitt and was published on July 15th, 2021. And the photo is uh, at the top a protester holds an anti-vaccination sign as Trump supporters rally on May 16th, 2020 in Woodland Hills, California. Uh, yeah. And again, I've, as so many of us have said, you know, do whatever you want to do or not do to your own body. But if your actions end up affecting other people, that's a fucking problem. Ugh. The number of new COVID-19 infections in the country topped 26,500 yesterday. Um, so this would be on July 14th, that that was, number was. A two-week increase of 111%. Experts broadly agree the reasons behind this new infection spike are twofold. One, the Delta variant of COVID is highly infectious and on the verge of becoming the dominant strain in the U.S. And two, millions of people continue to refuse the to refuse to get vaccinated or wear masks. Note well, there are plenty of people who remain unvaccinated for very comprehensible reasons. They live in areas where the shot is still difficult to obtain, or they are prevented from doing so for unavoidable work-life requirements, or they have vaccination hesitancy that is deeply rooted in an understandable distrust of medical experts who have grossly abused their communities for generations. The problem, however, is that millions of people remain unvaccinated and don't wear masks because they think that fuckface, you can fill in the blank for fuckface, I'll talk about a lot of fuckfaces on this uh, podcast uh won the 2020 election because fuckface says he did <sighs> the way they have chosen to combat the ocean of criticism earned by the fuckface presidency uh, should be more specific trump presidency is simple and utterly lethal if trump is good that means science is bad so screw science and screw you too if this self-destructive practice is not interrupted we may be in for another long and brutal winter Vaccines have been available to most Americans for months, reports CNN, but still only 48.2% of the country is fully vaccinated, according to U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And the rate of new vaccinations is on the decline. Meanwhile, case rates have been going up dramatically. In 47 states, the rate of new cases in the past week are at least 10% higher than the previous week, according to data from Johns Hopkins University. Of those, 35 have seen increases of over 50%. Officials and experts have said disinformation is largely to blame for the high number of unvaccinated Americans, a group which is now seeing the largest impacts of the pandemic. Matters are becoming dire enough to spur the largest nurses union in the U.S. to urge the reinstatement of the mask mandate. National Nurses United Executive Director Bonnie Castillo uh, transmitted a letter to the CDC warning the COVID-19 pandemic is far from over. The letter goes on to lay out a swath of terrifying infection numbers. And, and you strongly urges the CDC to reinstate your, <coughs> excuse me, 
uh, universal masking, irrespective of vaccination status, to help reduce the spread of the virus, especially from infected individuals who do not have any symptoms, pleads the concluding message. Officials and experts have said disinformation is largely to blame for the high number of unvaccinated Americans, reported CNN. But why? Kibono, who benefits? As it turns out, the same old right-wing hucksters are the ones who benefit the most. The ones who will say anything in order to dent the conversation and increase their own power, no matter how many of their own people they trick into an early gasping grave. Jonathan Bernstein of Bloomberg News explains it. It works like this. A fringe group of the party seeks to differentiate itself from the mainstream. To do that, its members set out to prove that they are the true conservatives and everyone else is a wishy-washy Republican in name only at best, and a collaborating liberal at worst. However, by now the mainstream of the party has become so conservative that there are no easy moves to make that involve pushing one or another policy preference. The key point here is that there is no counter more available to the rest of the party. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi or Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer can say that they oppose such and such a policy because they are liberals, not socialists. There's no parallel for the Republican congressional leaders, Kevin McCarthy in the House or Mitch McConnell in the Senate. I'm fake spitting because I don't want to spit on the dashboard, but if I saw those two people in person, oh yeah, I would want to spit on them. That doesn't mean that mainstream conservatives always go along, but within the norms of the party, they're not allowed to call anyone too conservative, let alone get any more negative characterization. How do you set yourself outside and above the conservative pack? Start by refusing to wear a mask. Follow that by refusing to get vaccinated. Not long after, begin making spurious claims that the vaccinations are deadly. And when people don't die in sufficient numbers to support that egregious lie, downshift to the argument that vaccinations and masks are the newest iteration of Nazi, Nazi fascism, which is just so fucking horrendous and, like, awful. I can't... Ugh. I do not see an easy solution to this problem, especially in a country that prides itself on freedom of opinion, even monstrously self-destructive opinion. How do you fix this when the governor of Florida is selling t-shirts attacking Anthony Fauci, the government's lead COVID expert, even as that state endures 3,000 new COVID hospitalizations a day? New infections in Florida are up 429% over the last two weeks, a number only matched by Tennessee, where the government has all but declared the topic of coronavirus to be off limits. That's really fucking healthy. Wow, what, what an awesome place we live. Sure glad we're, we're looking out for the humanitarian crises in other parts of the world. Uh, Jesus, okay. The way things are headed, we soon could be forced back into our masks for all occasions, back into seclusion, or worse, forced to bear witness to a segment of the population as it kills itself in this culmination of 40 years of nihilistic Republican ideology. One wonders if it really could have ended any other way. And again, it's like uh, if, if we actually had a leftist party in this country, I think there'd be people pushing back against this. But uh, we don't. So it's just, yeah, bad news. Okay. So this was from Truthout. And again, this article came out uh, yesterday, July 15th. It was written by William Rivers Pitt. And we'll also provide a link to that on our website. And keeping on with the uh, the same topic here, I mean, this. I was talking in therapy about this. Uh, this following article: um, Republicans force Tennessee Health Department to stop vaccine outreach to youth. And this is from July 14th by Sharon Zhang. 
Also for Truth Out, the Tennessee Health Department, under pressure from Republican state lawmakers, is stopping all vaccine outreach to youth in the state and has been ordered not to publicize National Immunization Awareness Month in August. According to documents obtained by the Tennessean, the staff at the health department have been ordered to remove the department's logo from vaccine guidance targeted at adolescents and stop holding COVID-19 vaccine events on school campuses. Notably, the order to halt vaccine outreach to youths isn't just for COVID vaccine. It's for all vaccines. The health department will also no longer send postcards to teenagers reminding them to get the second dose of the COVID vaccine to avoid having the reminders potentially interpreted as solicitation to minors. Meanwhile, these same folks are the ones who actually are involved with sex trafficking and are pedophiles, and uh, they are not at all interested in uh, children's safety. This is so fucking disgusting. Okay. This document, the document distributed among health department employees says, okay. Ugh. News Channel 5 also found that the health department officials were ordered last week not to even acknowledge that August is National Immunization Awareness Month, a campaign backed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and other health organizations to boost vaccination efforts for all diseases among people of all ages. Michelle Fiscus, the head of the health department's vaccine outreach, who was fired on Monday as part of the Republican pushback against vaccines, sent an email last week to the department's chief medical officer asking him if they could do their normal publicity for National Immunization Awareness Month. They typically do a news release, governor's proclamation, and send communications to local health departments, Fiscus wrote in her email. No outreach at all, the chief medical officer, Tim Jones, said, attributing the decision to Tennessee Health Commissioner Lisa Piercy. I don't know how you can have health if everyone's dead, but what what do I know? Piercy also was reportedly behind the decision to halt vaccine outreach to kids. The Tennessee Health Department's move co- moves come as Republicans across the country and in the states have massively politicized vaccinations. Conservatives in Tennessee have put the health department in their crosshairs, calling the department reprehensible, accusing it of peer pressuring students into being vaccinated and even threatening to dissolve the entire health department and reconstituting it, presumably with people more amenable to their dangerous agenda. This is so fucking frightening. Fiscus, in a scathing letter following her termination, wrote that she was fired for doing her job to provide information and education on vaccines. Each of us should be waking up every morning with one question on our minds. What can I do to protect the people of Tennessee against COVID-19? Instead, our leaders are putting barriers in place to ensure the people of Tennessee remain at risk, even with the Delta variant bearing down upon us. I was told that I should have been more politically aware and that I poked the bear, wrote Fiscus in a memo she sent in the spring clarifying vaccine guidance for kids. The Republican state governor, Bill Lee, covertly got his COVID shot in March. GOP lawmakers in the state have been on a tirade against the vaccine. Conservative white citizens of the state, in turn, are hesitant to accept the vaccine, according to health department polling. Meanwhile, in April, Governor Lee joined other Republicans across the country in pushing back against mandating vaccine records. Fiscus expressed frustration over the politicization politicization of the vaccine. I have been terminated for doing my job because some of our politicians have bought into the anti-vaccine misinformation campaign rather than taking the time to speak with the medical experts. Fiscus continued, I am afraid for my state. Me too. Health experts and Democrats in the state have expressed concern over Fiscus's firing. A well-respected member of the public health community was sacrificed in favor of anti-vaccine ideology. State Senator uh, Ramesh Akbari told NPR, 
Tennessee has been lagging behind the rest of the country in vaccination rates. While nationally, 48% of the country has been fully vaccinated and 56% of people have received at least one shot, only 38% of the state has been fully vaccinated and 43% have received at least one dose. The state's health department has estimated that at the current pace, the state won't reach 50% of the population fully vaccinated until March of next year. Meanwhile, as the Delta variant surges through the state, the state's COVID case rate has risen a whopping 429% over the past two weeks, far higher than the national average of 109%. Gosh. Wow. So, yeah. Kind of love living in a time of anti-science. That's just, that's just, I don't have the words for it. So again, you can find this article at Truthout, and it came out on July 14th. It was written by Sharon Jang. And we are going to play some more music now to uh, uh, distract ourselves. Maybe that's part of it, but also enjoy some of the beauty in life. So here's some more music, and we'll be back in a bit. Thank you. 
So, when we played here five years ago, we were a six-piece. Two months ago, our sixth member, David Rosser, passed away after a valiant struggle against a horrible disease. Not here to bring you down, but to lift you up. His name was David Rosser. And he visited me this morning. I do know that. This was one of his favorite songs. We're going to do this one for him. This song is called Can Roba.
Didn't know him at all. You didn't know. 
Frito-Lay workers are on strike. Workers are often forced into 12-hour shifts seven days a week. Nearly 600 employees are on strike in Topeka, Kansas for better pay and treatment. Frito-Lay allows just eight hours off between 12-hour quote-unquote suicide shifts. Workers report extreme temperatures in the warehouse. When we had the ice storm, we were in here, day in, day out. And all we got was some little lamps filled with kerosene to warm us up, and that didn't do anything in the warehouse. One person already had heat exhaustion, like, within a day, like, of the higher temperatures hitting. And this was at night. Couldn't leave the line. They didn't, no one came for breaks. No one helped them out. Management kept, said, you got to keep this line going and get it back up. They ended up wheeling them out that day. Raises over the last 10 years resulted in only 20 cent to 40 cent increases. We have gone six full years with nothing. Actually seven because this is drug out a year. And then they offered us, for this new contract, they offered us a dime the first year, nothing the second year, and a dime the third year. So that would mean we would be going nine years with 20 cents. You know, everything goes up, you know, milk, gas, everything. Our wages aren't going up. We can't survive like this. They are greedy. The CEO is making millions, yet we are making nothing, getting, getting cents in raises. This is not fair. 
this is not something that we wanted to do. No. This is something that we had to do. Nobody wants to go on strike. Nobody wants to sit out here making a spectacle of ourselves. But we will if we have to. If we want fair wages, if we want to be respected when we walk in the building, if we want the training site of Topeka to be a little bit better, we'll do this as long as we have to. All right, so um, this was a video that was put up by uh, New More Perfect Union. You can follow at, at More Perfect US on Twitter, and this was on July 7th. Uh, new Frito-Lay workers in Kansas are being forced to work 12-hour days, seven days a week in a dangerous factory. Their stories are shocking. Now nearly 600 workers have gone on strike in Topeka to demand better pay and treatment. And let's see if there's an update here, because again, this was from a couple weeks ago, or oh, nine days ago. So not a couple weeks, but it feels like it feels like pretty recently. Um, that looks like the. Let's see. There's a few other. <laughs> uh, they also have a post about uh, Florida small business owner reveals incredible hack for. They're just talking about how just with the. There's talk of a you know labor shortage, and then you've got stories like this where workers are not compensated for their time. Well, the CEO is profit, uh, so just wanting to share that. And we'll provide a link to the video over on our page at weeklyrev.org. And the uh, post for last week's episode mysteriously disappeared. Um, probably not that mysteriously. You know, technological these things happen. So we'll get it back up um, at some point in the future. I'm gonna be realistic about this. It took a lot. It takes a lot of time sometimes to put all the the links together with all the information and format it correctly. So it'll be up at some point in the future. Um, just can't say when. And also, hopefully, that episode will be available for folks to listen to in the near future as well. Did also want to share some other um, news items here. Let's see. What do we have on deck? did want to just share some info. One of the things I've been wanting to do forever, for a very long time, is to have the um, site translated, but since we're on a very limited budget, which is, uh, and not even a budget, it's really like a, a pain to do the show, pay out of pocket to do the show, because I think it's important, and you know, you can get paid to lie in this country, but if you want to tell the truth, you end up paying for it yourself in a variety of ways. Anyway, uh, if you'd like to donate, <laughs> while you still can, patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Big thanks to the folks who donate monthly. Uh, helps keep the website open, goes towards paying the dues at the station. Um, and eventually, uh, we'd love to have uh, translations into different languages of the content of the show. And did want to share along those lines a tweet that uh, from Josie Huang, who uh, tweeted this on July 15th. You can follow Josie on Twitter at Josie underscore Huang. Uh, uh, California has $5.2 billion to give out in rent relief. You can get 100% of back rent paid from April 2020 through this September if you've struggled financially because of COVID and are income eligible. Applying can be hard if you don't know English well. Here's ways to make it easier. If you text rent to 211211, let me, let me read that. You text rent to 211211, you can get help figuring out if you qualify in one of a language one of language. It's, it's that point where, yeah, and I understand why folks do, uh, uh, eight years later, I understand why folks do shorter podcasts because, you know, you reach the, uh, I'm reaching the 
one hour, eight minute mark, and I'm like, whew, combining words here. Let me start over again. If you text rent to 211-211, you can get help figuring out if you qualify in one of 11 languages. Aid is available to those who earn no more than 80% of the median income for their area. For a family of four in the LA area, that's just under $95,000. You can also call for interpreter help at 1-833-430-2122. It's available for Vietnamese, Mandarin, Spanish, Korean, Tagalog, and Cantonese. The state has gotten a drubbing from tenant advocates for relying on Google Translate on its rent relief site at housing.ca.gov. It led to some bad translations, and they have a screenshot. Um, ooh. It's not even just bad. It's like fucking xenophobic and horrific, some of these translations. Criticisms over language access led the state to get its rent relief site professionally translated into five of the most common non-English languages spoken in California, Spanish, Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese, and Tagalog. And Josie says that Josie's told the translations went live in late June. Filling out a long rent relief application on a smartphone can, <laughs> smartphone can be challenging for some. There are printable versions of the app in Spanish, Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese, and Tagalog, and uh, Josie found them hard to find on the site, but there's a link um, from the state, and I'll provide a link to this thread, so it'll be easier to find, uh, weeklyrev.org, should be up later today. Um, for all of the languages, it's still Google Translate. Given Californians speak 200, over 200 to speak 200 plus languages, it's still a lot of people relying on a machine. A complaint filed last month by civil rights groups calls on California to do better on language and disability access. A big change guaranteed to help all applicants regardless of English ability. The app is a lot shorter. What could take hours is now supposed to average a half hour. Thanks to autofill and reduced paperwork, for example, you can attest to COVID impact instead of appending pay, pay stubs. Click, uh, and they have a link, uh, click here for a list of orgs that you can call or visit to get in-language in help for rent relief in California. And there's a link provided. State says now more than 100 orgs are in the network. Um, uh, too bad no hyperlinks or phone numbers are on the page. Uh, more here on language access for rent relief applicants in California. State says it's dispersed more than $159 million of $5.2 billion uh, pot, but uh, application rate is rising fast. will be interesting to see much of the pickup comes uh, from non-English speakers. Um, yeah, so that's a really informative thread, and we'll provide a link to that on our website, weeklyrev.org for today's date, July 16th. I'll do one more, perhaps I'll do a quick thing before we take another break. And did have, got another article coming up that I'm gonna get to, but that, that's a bit longer. Where, let's see. Oh yeah, the transgender, uh, San Francisco Transgender Film Festivals. Yay, one of my favorite things. Um, so they are taking, ex uh, uh, what do you call them? Submissions. <laughs> <laughs> running out of words um and the deadline the regular deadline is july 25th so you still have nine days and the late deadline will be august 15th and you get notified september 15th and the event is uh november 11th to the 14th um 2021 we've had a lot of folks who are affiliated with the film fest uh be on the show before and hope to do so again this year um just so grateful for all the folks who are actively a part of this and for all trans people out there um you know as a trans person uh community has made made it possible to be alive and then also on top of that the folks who organize 
uh, especially artistic, well, all things, like health events and artistic events, just to, it's so validating to see oneself on screen. So let me read a bit about this. Funded in 1997, the San Francisco Trans Film Festival, SFTFF, builds a strong and diverse community through the power of transgender cinema. Uh, the Film Fest is the world's first and longest-running transgender film festival and co-presents year-round screenings in collaboration with other LGBT film festivals. Our programs strengthen awareness of transgender identity, history, and culture, support emerging and established independent filmmakers working with transgender themes, and provide a dynamic and inclusive forum uh, for dialogue about local and global transgender issues, uh, rules and terms. The 2021, oh, festival is going to be an online festival. So the fest seeks entries for our 2021 festival, November 11th to the 14th, 2021. This year we are prioritizing films 20 minutes or less. The film fest accepts uh, narrative, documentary, experimental, animated films, and music videos. All work should be created by transgender or genderqueer people. We prioritize short films but accept all screening lengths. Uh, the Film Fest was founded in 1997, and we already, uh, okay, as North America's first transgender film fest, we exhibit groundbreaking, provocative, outrageous, courageous, moving, and innovative works that show the complexity of our lives lived on the trans spectrum. Deadline for entries: regular deadline, July 25th, 2021, for $15. Late deadline, August 15th, 2021, $20. Guidelines: we will notify you if your work is accepted by September 15th. Once a film is submitted. Excuse me. It cannot be withdrawn for any reason. Uh, all films will be closed captioned for deaf and hard of hearing audiences. Short films are prioritized under 20 minutes. We do not provide screening fees. For questions or more information, contact sftransfilm at gmail.com. How to submit. All films must be submitted through Film Freeway and the Film Festival Schedule 2021 Trans Film Fest will take place. Okay, we read that. Da, 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 da. Um, please note, if your film is accepted, the Film Fest does not pay screening fees under any circumstances. Rather, as a largely volunteer-run festival, we devote our resources to producing the best possible programming for your film by promoting your work as widely as possible. And then for more info, uh, sftff.org. All right, I'm... Whew, it's one I'm going to play some more music here. And uh, then we'll be back uh, with just a bit more. So please do stay tuned.
And welcome back. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in. And as we, uh, it's a little bit early to wrap up, so I'm just going to give a few headlines here. The article I wanted to read, I'm feeling a little bit like uh, just don't have the spoons for it at the moment, but I did want to provide um, info about the writer who you can support, independent journalists. Uh, you can support uh, by Patreon. You can follow them on Twitter. Uh, and that's uh, Jamie Omar Yassin, who's an Oakland reporter, covers city politics, public land, homelessness, police commission, and accountability. And um, oh, it goes by Omar. And you can follow um, this person at hyphy underscore republic, and that's at H-Y-P-H-Y underscore republic. Um, and then they have a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash hyphenated underscore republic. Um, it's, I think, really crucial to support independent reporters and independent journalism, and especially here in the Bay Area. So I just wanted to read the headline here. Uh, in March, Michael Cole Bruno finally paid off a $10,000 fine for violating lobbying laws. The fine was doubled from earlier recommendations due to severity of the violations. But next week, council is set to give him his third term on the port commission anyway. <sighs> Goodness gracious. So, yeah. Ugh. There's just, yeah, a lot of information there. And I know I've already covered a lot here. I think one story alone is a lot to uh, take in and to hold and to recognize this is the world that we're living in and how do we fight back when this is the reality and there are so many folks who have been lied to and are uh you know again i'm all for people doing whatever the hell they want but if your actions end up hurting others then that's not okay and perhaps that's not as uh forceful as my answer it feels in my heart a lot of the time because i do have a lot of anger but um just putting that out there there are a lot of teach-ins, a lot of art events that are happening, so I did want to share those. Um, one event that is happening on Tuesday, July 27th from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. is Counting Crime, a lecture on the politics of crime data and its uses, put out by Haymarket Books. And uh, join Tamara K. Knopper for an urgent discussion of the politics, history, and methods of counting crime and who benefits from crime data. This sounds really interesting and informative. And also, especially here in San Francisco, people are always like, oh, the, the crime's going up even when it's going down. And just as a way to uh, further fund police um, and also to not really deal with the fact that there's a, a large wealth disparity here. About this event, uh, politicians, pundits, and pundits and mainstream media are claiming crime is going up and some are blaming defund the police campaigns. But how, how we measure crime is a socially constructed political process and more data literacy on this topic can be useful in this political moment. In this educational lecture, we will learn from some of the history of counting crime during the post-emancipation period, who has pushed for crime data to be collected, some of the major data sources, including the samples and methods, and how crime data is deployed for various purposes. While this event and all our events are freely available, we ask that those who are able to make a solidarity donation in support of this event, important work, do so. Part of the proceeds from this event will go to the National Bail Fund Network. Register through Eventbrite to receive a link to the video conference on the day of the event. This event will also be recorded and live captioning and ASL will be provided. The speaker is Tamara K. Knopper, who is a sociologist, writer, and editor. She is the editor of We Do This Till We Free Till We Free Us, 
uh, Abolitionist Organizing and Transforming Justice, a book of Miriam Cubba's writings and interviews from Haymarket Books, and researcher and writer of several data stories for Colin Kaepernick's Abolition for the People series. She is a fellow at Data for Progress, an affiliate uh, of the Center uh for Critical Race and Digital Studies, and a member of the inaugural cohort of the NYU Institute for Public Interest Technology. She is she is also an incoming 2021-22 faculty data fellow uh, at Data and Society. So we'll provide a link for this on our website. Also wanted to share, oh no, oh, just uh, accidentally uh, deleted that email. One second here. I'm going to share another event that's happening tomorrow, which is Saturday, July 17th. Bear with me one moment while I bring up this event. And Lenore Lee, who's been a guest on the program uh, a couple of times, uh, sent out this email from the dance company she's affiliated with. Let me just scroll down here. So this is uh, performances uh, celebrating... Ugh. It's that time of the show when I'm... Just going so fast. Performances celebrating unity and solidarity this Saturday, 717, and Dream Magazine Future. All right, so let's just take a look here. So, performance of And the Community Will Rise excerpts as part of the Ping Yuan Peaceful Garden Summer Block Party, which is happening tomorrow, Saturday, July 17th, 1220 p.m., in front of 795 Pacific Street between Stockton and Grant in San Francisco. Lenora Lee Dance is thrilled to be participating in the Ping Yuan. Peaceful Garden Summer Block Party, an event promoting unity and solidarity within our communities with an emphasis on our Black and Asian community. The day's events will take place from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Chinatown Community Development Center celebrates the rainbow of cultures within the Ping Yuan properties, as well as provide a day of enrichment showcasing cultural dancing, food, spoken word performances, games, uh, inviting pillars of the community, uh, etc. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be happening tomorrow. Again, from... 1123 at 795 Pacific Street between Stockton and Grant. And we'll provide some info on our website. All right. It's 1.30. I feel like just let's play some music for the rest of the show. We got a few more songs coming up here. Thanks again so much for tuning in. And we'll be off for the next few weeks, but we will have some older episodes being played most likely. And also please do check out our archive uh, weeklyrev.org. We've got uh, some information about a lot of the previous episodes and the full archive from the last east six, seven years is up over at mutinyradio.fm. Thanks so much for tuning in and I uh, hope everyone has a, a good of a week as possible and keep on speaking the truth and fighting for what's right and taking care of one another. All right, that's it for me. Should've known better.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dog, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're a host of <laughs> you uh, with Michael Spiegelman. Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A S L M O Y C. We watch a full length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time. Yeah, L W A S L M O Y C. Yeah, L W S L M O Y C. 
L W A F L M O Y T. That's every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, 5 cents. Yeah, right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show, 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, let's watch Fulton. All right, let's do a Fulton. Oh, never mind. Fulton. I was just leaving the theater. Convertible 1969 gold Cadillac with a white interior. I drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around in and on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black class. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday noon to two. On the freeway. Good I am a total star. Colonel Blake, Henry, Charlie here. I have a report here, Henry, from your um, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude's mine, man. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy. No matter what you're into, make sure that you and those around you feel safe comfortable and are having a good time this public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at mutiny radio hey everybody listen to the weekly review with roman every friday from noon to 2 p.m this is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program we interview community organizers activists and artists we talk about ways you can take action right now My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. 
It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and are passion, who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution, who would rather die than fall in line to conform, who 